could drop a fun fact before we even introduce our guest, which is, you might have heard us last week, but it has been three weeks since we have recorded our last episode, and it's not just us here after this three-week hiatus, we have a guest. Yes, and uh, guest, do you... <laughs> it's just, uh, like, <laughs> I thought you were going to... I, I thought your name. fun fact was going to be a little longer. Um, <laughs> so, we guess, have Tanner, wanna... Garen, I have to prove I know his name, okay? <laughs> <laughs> that, that long pause, it was like, I feel like listeners might be like, I don't think Danny knows who the guest is. <laughs> That's all yes. right. Sometimes, uh, I was going to say, in the past couple of years, I, I don't expect my name to be in a lot of places right now. I think this is the, I, I was telling, um, I was telling someone that this is probably the first little project I've had since, um since april so this as soon as mark reached out to me i'm like oh hell yeah he's like do you have any do you have any opinions on the iron giant i'm like in fact <laughs> yeah. well i so, mean yeah. you're you're making moves and making money you want to tell oh, us a little man. bit just kind of summarize give us a little bit of your background so uh i went to college with mark and danny i let's see mark we were in i want to say t- one, we were only in lane witch together weren't we I think so. That was yeah. the big thing yeah. which I everyone was, was in. Language. But then, yeah. then I think it kind of got separated because there was like, the, like the men troop, and then <laughs> I was kind of off doing weird like com studies things. Yeah, so but, I think then then it was like harder to overlap. Yeah, but you were you were around you were around the theater department quite a bit, and I think the integration uh, when we would do things with the film department. Um, that that I kind of realized more so you than anyone else kind of brought people from the film department over to the theater side a little bit, but you were the only one that really tried to, what was it? No, because Danny, you weren't part of the film department. You were part of the theater department, weren't you? I was a part of the film department. Okay. So, okay. Took, so yeah, both of you. So I took the course. That, I, I want to brag about how I know Tanner, because I might've not been in a show with him, but Tanner was a very important part of the one play feature-length play I wrote in college, which is that he, I believe, didn't you play Satan in the original short draft of the Leprechaun selling his soul to the devil in my playwriting class? No, and I'm very upset because I would have loved that. Wait, this might have been after I I left. No, 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 because you were in the first of the, you were in the course, you, Kristen, Ryan, Chloe, you were all in that course Wait. That yes. With, yes. That I remember that me now. To switch my major. Well, add my major. That pretty much switched my major because in order for me to graduate on time, I had to only exclusively do theater stuff. Basically. Oh my god! I forgot all um, about that class. Yeah, and that was, I that was some I of my worst writing. <laughs> well, I realized I like playwriting way more than I write screen like screenwriting in that class. Actually, and, s- oh, go ahead, Dan. And well, and I was gonna say you. I'm. I'm pretty sure you were sated. Or you yeah. were the leprechaun. I don't I, remember I, which one. No, no, no. I wasn't because I believe it was Ryan that was supposed to be the leprechaun. Yes. Um, and then you were you were Satan at the end. Yeah, because I... Big... That's kind of one of my log lines is, <laughs> you know, the very mean looking person. Although, what was it? I remember um, before he... You know, obviously before Tom died, whenever I was in... Um, whenever we had an audition class with him, we had to do these fake... Uh, interviews, uh, kind of the way you would be interviewing with, uh, you know, someone like him, the the um, artistic director on your acting. And, you know, I was like, yeah, I usually play like the anti-hero, the guy that looks really rough but has a heart of gold. He's, and he looks down on my resume. He's like, really? Because everything on here is comedy. And I'm like, oh, shit. Uh, and mm. honestly, that's kind of where I... I didn't... I don't feel like people pick me out to be in comedy shows a lot, but I did... 
I felt like I thrived in that a little bit more. Uh, did you guys ever see Vigils? Yeah, uh, yeah. I was that. Um, that was yeah, definitely we more my thing. That. Yeah. Oh, that was I your thing Vigils. because it was uh, was darker or because it was more comedic. Bit. It was it was a little bit of both. Um, I was it was very much my humor and my kind of playwriting. I mean, don't get me wrong. Uh, Peter and the Starcatcher was great. I loved being in a children's show uh, with Lion Witch in the, in the wardrobe. But that was something that I, I think that one victory that an actor can always have that I don't think he always gets or he or she always gets to do is even f- play a character that they feel they represent themselves a little bit more. I think that a lot of the time, especially if you end up you know, just getting smaller gigs here and there. You're playing characters that may be outside of what you typically do, and it forces you to, you know, kind of think about how you want to approach it. But with this, it was more along the line of like, okay, this is subject matter and the kind of writing that I enjoy, so I feel like I just, I, I get to have a little bit more fun with this. And also with such a small yeah. cast, it was it was a great time. But um, since then, uh, honestly, if I... After getting a taste of directing, I I've learned that I would rather direct in theater now than act. I, I I like acting in film. I like doing as much voice work as I can. But I I after going to a lot of shows in Chicago that um my old roommate Mike would do, and don't get me wrong, they were they were fun to watch. But obviously, after going through a certain amount of training, you you question so many things about certain directors, and you're like. Why the, you know, I, 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 this is something I would have changed. So I wish they would have put in, or I wish they would have changed. And then when you finally have the helm to do that, you're like, okay, one, I can finally make a show my way Two, Let's see if my way is a good way. That's something that I've really found being out in New York is that I'm around a lot of people who are like fresh out of school mm-hmm. and, and you realize how different everyone's experience levels are. Yes. And you find that like you have s- such your training is so different from like your directors or your other actors and not that you have like more or less training because no, I honestly no, not find myself more on the less side but it is like it makes you wrestle with some of your convictions once you're out in the real world and you have to you know work with with people who are on you on the same level versus like teacher student relationship and all that well not only that but you also you know it's like your way is not the way and because of that, you got to you have to learn to either accept what you like about a show or a director or other actors and what you don't and see where you can take that without letting your ego get involved. And uh definitely saw a little bit of that while I was in Chicago. Not so much in like shows that I did, but shows that some friends were doing and it was it, it was it was you see a lot of the same I guess, high standards that people hold for themselves a lot of the time. But when you find people that are all working to, you know, willing to work together, it's the best experience, especially when it's a show as fun as, let's say, um, what was it? The last online show I did was um, a comedy about a super genius who makes a clone of herself or a robotic clone of herself. And I played this stoner character and it was the most (laughs) That that was some of the most fun I've ever had in my life, especially since I I I would say towards the beginning of my adolescence I watched a lot of stoner films, like uh, Kevin Smith movies, Days Confused. So that was finally something that I think a younger version of me would have liked to have uh, done, and thankfully other people were 
very supportive about playing it to the you know 11th degree because i think that you know we learn certain things about subtlety and then you realize at one point subtlety is not the option right now well and also when there's an audience there and there's money and it's not you know your peers at school there's not a desperation but it's i mean if there is any money at all but like there's not a desperation but there is this like it really pulls out of you bigness i think i was gonna say you can either be your biggest fan or your own or your worst critic but money either way is going to be just a nice little added additive on the side for however you feel Mm. i do like money Capitalism. Oh god, me too. But yeah. hold on, before uh, before we go any further, I I want to ask quickly just because I I haven't seen you guys you know, in so long. You guys are okay, right? <laughs> I know that Danny's in Chicago. Yeah. And... Um. The reason I've been kind of quiet is because uh I I haven't personally really acted at all since college, and I kind of miss it. But it's also like mm, like yeah, I've always been more of the writing type of person, and. As you guys heard before we talked, and I'm sure we'll come up again on this podcast, even if it's not going to be my life update today, I have finally gotten back into really writing, which is exciting to me in and of itself. Yeah. Um, but I'm really happy for you. It's just that, like, I'm like, wow, agents, acting. Because when I was in, I just visited Mark in New York, too, and I was like, wow, acting. <laughs> That's something I used to do, and I really liked it. But I just don't do it anymore. I, so. th- I mean, these are the stories, these stories have been so far and few between for each other like i i honestly the majority of my day is go to work come home watch youtube videos on a tv show or a movie that i really like and then go back and do it all again so i i'm, I mean, I'm still very much searching for work life, too you know oh yeah yeah i mean well that's i mean that's ever the, the internet is not the real thing you know oh, God, no. everyone is like you know you, you look at my calendar it's not fantastically glamorous but you know you you he's do what lying. you can because I saw it is his about calendar. money he's lying i saw his calendar it is glamorous it has many <laughs> colors on it but they're all about i mean most I of those a lot of those colors are for this podcast i, I don't know I, I like some calendars i think for me like it was kind of weird getting out of school because i actually had a job that i went to i worked at um i worked at an outdoor theater that uh, christian boswell had worked at Oh, nice. Um, a few years before. So I went out and did that job, which was a lot of fun. And then that was in 2019. And then I moved to New York because Carrington had a room and was just like, yo, this opening is available when your job is finished. Do you want to come up and be a roommate? So that kind of worked out that way. But I didn't really like dive in and take it seriously. I still feel like I'm figuring out a lot about like living on my own. But what happened was during the pandemic, I actually did have a job doing like security kind of and like temperature checks, but I was also doing online theater. And it amazed me like the hunger for online productions. I was a little bit like kind of cynical about the whole operation, but I was working with a company that did... um, like shows for companies and things like that and these people loved it and they kept coming back and I just felt very that felt very fulfilling so coming out of the pandemic I'm I'm trying I'm I'm I am treating it more like a like a nine-to-five job you also started a podcast climbing up 
Sorry. We did start a podcast. <laughs> it changed my my views on everything. I feel positive about the human condition because of this podcast. But just because yeah. just because like I don't know, just coming out uh I'm just a, a much I'm a I'm a very different person than I was 3 years ago and I have much more like clarity about what I want to do and where I where I feel like I fit into the industry still figuring that out kind of I mean just as we all are but like and and you know I mean I'm just I'm I'm not hot shit or whatever but um yeah it's, so that's 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 what the like radio silence was partly because of the pandemic partly also because of just like I feel like I was a mess of a person three years ago compared to where I am now oh I um concur so hard <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. No. it um I mean, not only that, but, like, finding your footing in anything you do creatively is a lot more... I think I think, I think it's different for some people, but I, I, I feel that completely. Like, uh, for a while, I was doing cosplay TikTok to try and see if I could make some kind of name for that. Then I had also tried a podcast, and, you know, it's... You think that you some of those things will stick, but then you find out that that's not exactly something that you want to work on completely all the time either. So, I mean, I, I feel like finding that footing, um, especially if you do have the want and the knack to create, which both of you do, you know, as long as it still peeks its head out, as opposed to just hiding away all the time, I think, I think that everyone, I think that you both will be completely fine, whether it's in the writing or a lot. I mean, hell Mark. I mean, I didn't, you even said it yourself. I didn't. You hadn't been doing much until what was it? This uh, MFA project that you're working on, and I was just, as yeah. soon as well, I saw that, I'm like, basically oh. this summer, which was kind of like a, it was a string of things based on this particular, because that actually was a a job that I got from knowing the same person. But it's basically just been this summer of like, all right, I, we can go outside again, kind of. So mm. let's. Yeah. No, that's. Uh, yeah. yeah, I as someone who I, I just you're a go getter. You're creative. Well, I meant I to say that as soon as you were done with that myself. one sentence. Well, no, I try but. not to overwhelm myself. I don't know what cued me into thinking this is that something you said made me remember. Like there was a time in May and June, more May, because June my my third podcast, my first podcast, but now it's my third podcast because it's dead. Um, you know, was going on actually consistently, and I was scheduling this. Why is and then the snub club all at once and I was like I have too many podcasts right now and it's really a detriment to the other creative stuff I like to do and it's something we're also this past couple weeks really and writing this play um that I've I we alluded to briefly uh but the writing this play again made me realize oh no I do still really like to write um because i'm churning out like 20 pages a day you know like clearly this is like really flowing with me right now and i wish i did it more um which is great like yeah (laughs) but it's something where i'm like whoa i didn't really i haven't used this muscle in a while so it's like yeah that's where i'm kind of at right now with my creative endeavors where i'm like whoa this is still here that's good you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) as much as i love to talk about movies and stuff it's like uh, it's not the same as like writing a play about like going to hell or like pirates, you know, it's very different. I, I'm impressed by you because you actually keep up with your letterbox. I don't look at all of them, but I, I will admit over the past couple years, 
seeing at least your star ratings for certain movies, because I, I do trust your opinion when it comes yeah. to a lot of film. I look at your star ratings and I'm like, okay, how much consideration am I actually going to put in if I decide to see this movie? So, and I mean, what was it? Especially with this podcast, and I, I'll, I'll admit to everyone else listening, I didn't, I have not listened. I've been a horrible friend and I did not listen to the other episodes of the podcast. Um, you don't but, have to. We told, yeah. we said to Tarrington, but t- I mean, we said to Tanner, <laughs> I, I know too many people with like in their names. Um, we said to Tanner beforehand, like, we're not even, we're not at 50 episodes yet, yeah. you know, like people barely know about us right now. But to talk about, we come on and we're like, yeah, but, go but, on, yeah. but to be able to talk about, um, you know, I would say the merit of certain film, um, with your friends while, you know, everyone does it, especially when you're in the arts to do it in a way that, especially with people that I believe have a truly have a bit more of a sound crit have more sound critical brains um i i love like don't get me wrong i everyone has their own opinion on film you don't have to love you don't have to like everything but when i what was it back in 2018 i was bartending for an amc mm-hmm. and that was for one thing one of the best jobs i ever had but also two you got to see what kind of people were into what kind of movies when Infinity War came out. This woman comes up to the bar and she tells me that she's going to see it. I was like, "Oh, have you seen the other Marvel movies?" She's like, "Nope, I'm going in completely blind." Is there are wait, there are others? I'm like, "Oh my god." <laughs> like this and the thing is where I was at, it it was this place where you saw the bigger movies cuz that was the main thing. That people were going to movies because box office numbers and I think popularity were driving in that the most. I had a guy come out, I think during another movie and we were discussing Marvel and I had and I had said that my favorite was, you know, Guardians or Guardians 2 and he's like, oh, I hate that shit. Like, I don't need all that story and mushy stuff. I just need the action. I'm like, I can't believe I'm actually hearing a person say this. But it's, it does exist. So to be able to talk about it with people that I, uh, I don't know, I, I, I'm not going to say agree with me more, but I can, I think would give me more of a nuance on how I think about certain films is nice. No, um, one thing I really, and I, I haven't missed it yet, but I guarantee you I will miss it once, you know, like specifically, uh, my Marvel podcast never got to talk about Guardians of the Galaxy because they never came out with another one when we were talking and we had it. Oh, so this was a long time ago. Yeah, like my Mar- no, 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 no. My Marvel podcast just ended, but it only lasted okay. from Wandavision until oh, I see what you're for. Okay. So we never went back to Guardians because we we're always like, oh, Guardians three is coming out. We'll cover it then, and then we just were like, nah, we gotta end it now. We're just we both kind of lost time. Um, but it was like you know, I always was like, I remember we always asked this question of, and Mark's gonna be Max. I know Mark does not like the Guardians movies, um, <laughs> but we, we'd be like. We, one question that we want, because we always had this thing, we had a guest come on, they'd leave a question for the next guest. So one of my favorite questions that was left was, what Marvel movie do you think will actually be studied? Like, if any movies, Marvel movie is going to be studied 20 years down the line, what do you think it is? And we were like, uniformly like, it's Guardians 2. Like, <laughs> like it, it's Gar- like, Guardians really? 2 is the densest of these films, what? thematically. 
Which wait, which which episode is that? Is that something that we need to go listen to because you explain it, or can we interrogate you about that here? You can interrogate. I don't remember what episode <laughs> it is. I don't even remember who the guest was. I think the guest. I think that was either the Venom episode or the Thor one episode because I I can't remember. It was my friends who are twins that are on. I can't remember which one got that ant question. But whoever did answer the way I just did also, we all agreed, like, yeah, it's probably Guardians 2. Um, I mean, I think that's a great segment, and I think I always loved those questions, but I I don't see that. I don't know, Tanner, if you agree, I feel like I, I think in just terms like of, Iron Man or like Black Panther. I think Black, that Black in Panther terms of maybe, but film study, on. I think, well, that's the other thing. I think that... All Marvel movies probably have their own realm of study. I think when it comes to film study, you're probably, I would hope, people would look more at, like, uh, Winter Soldier. Um, really? I disagree with that. I, I, oh, that or, thing, I, would I know say, where you're coming from, though. Or, I would say that more based on filmmaking. When it comes to the idea of the overall franchise, I would say, at least for now, I would hope that it would mainly go back to Infinity War because of how long it took to actually get that in a coherent place now that might also be a study in like business franchising stuff like that everything else in terms of marvel i think maybe not everything else definitely I, i'm sorry i hated love and thunder with a passion oh that's fine uh, we, I, we, I don't i didn't like it either i know mark didn't like, say it so um, but um, i gave I, it a three out of five on letterbox but i guarantee you it will fall <laughs> apart as soon as i rewatch it um, it's a low but, three out of five I guess it was okay. When it comes anyway, to certain on, uh, character building and, I would say, script work, uh, if you ever take the time, I know, Mark, you're, you're not a fan of, you're probably not a fan of Guardians 2, but Lindsay Ellis actually does a really nice Fantastic deconstruction video. of Guardians 2 on her YouTube channel, especially taking apart why um, certain characters are the way they are, especially Star-Lord um, and how he still kind of lives in this... Um, I would say juvenile is not the word, but I guess more of a carefree space of where he, I've become this, this space hero. I've saved, uh, the galaxy from, um, from Lee Pace. So now I must be getting everything I want. Right. But no, absolutely not. And I, especially for someone that what was, that? I was 23 when that came out. I can't even remember who I was at 23, but I know I love Star-Lord more so much the, fact there's so much to the point where i would cosplay him and have a speaker shoot out 70s music because i loved what he represented to me in terms of superheroes but also as a music lover and then i watched this deconstruction of him as a person i'm like oh my god i'm just like that so while i would say maybe not i mean hell there'll be people that say that marvel movies have no merit in terms of See film that's why i loved having my podcast yeah. because the thing is about my podcast is my co-host tyler who will be on this at some point i know um tyler is much more of a guy and i mean this with all love is someone who goes to these movies and it's like oh what's gonna happen next whereas i'm someone who might get excited about this stuff but i'm more interested in like what are we getting now you know like yeah. where what is the merit of this particular film to me I actually think besides, although I'll be honest, this next one, this next take I'm going to say has nothing to do with what I think other people will cherish. Um, but I think about this, I, I do want to wrap up Marvel talk because I we, we have a lot of things to talk about <laughs> otherwise. But when I first saw Thor Ragnarok, I knew I loved it. But as I revisited it more and more, 
I have discovered more and more insight both into like what it's about. Thor Ragnarok is a movie where I get more insight into what it's about. Like, I think it, Thor Ragnarok has almost as much, if not as much commentary on colonialism as Black Panther does. Um, I think it is a very funny movie, obviously, with good character arcs. Um, and it's something that like is better every time I watch it. And the thing I was going to say is the issue with Marvel movies now, and this is what I said at the end of my podcast, is that they don't really get directors who are willing to put a stamp on things, which is why I think Doctor Strange 2 will be one that I love more and more over the upcoming years. I feel like uh, Because I remember the, the podcast, our podcast episode on Doctor Strange is literally, well... Tyler, we both loved it for different reasons, but the same reason where it's like, this is Sam Raimi going wild. It's so fun. But I'm like, but look at how like smartly done Dr. Strange's arc is here and how it relates to him in No Way Home and Infinity War. And also just like how good it is as a movie. Like, I want to, I haven't watched it since theaters, but I remember I saw it twice in a week and I was like, dang, that was like, it's my second favorite movie the summer after Nope, which is saying a lot because there was a lot of good movies this summer. So, all right. So, shall Tanner, we, are you ready for some we games? Do games? Games. Game. Okay. Yeah. I I am very curious about this, and all I'm right. not good at games, so this will be very very uh, different for me. So first, they're fun and entertaining. No worries. Yeah. First, I will explain the rules of my game, and then you'll get to choose if you want to play competitively with Mark or using Mark as a phone a friend. So, mm, okay. the game is called the Letterbox Game. Letterboxd in the last three or four months have added a feature to their website where they tell you the most related films to the film you just watched. The Letterboxd game is I give you the first five films they say are most similar to this film, and you have to guess what movie I watched. They're all movies I saw in the last month. After you get two guesses wrong, you get the year the movie came out, and then after that, you get two more guesses, and with every guess, I give you another movie. I might narrow it down a bit. Well, I'm going up against Mark. I actually feel like I might be decent at this. One quick rule that's important is that if the film is in the same franchise or if it's by the same director, I remove it from the list. Oh. So you, yeah. So. You're not going by IMDb uh, rules. <laughs> yeah, uh, basically. Uh, and the other thing I will say about it is for when we have guests, we change it every time. Well, not every time, but when we have certain guests, we change it. And for you, Tanner, we're not going to change it. I'm sorry. No, it's um, all right. The movies are all movies that made over $100 million at the box office this time. Okay? Okay, that kind of They might not have just down. made over $100 million, but they have made it over $100 million at some point in life. Okay? Mm, okay. All right. All right. Good. So you, you ready for your first movie? Uh, let's do it. All right. And since you're playing competitively, the way it will work is... When you guess and when Mark guess, if you both get it wrong, you will immediately get the year because that's two guesses. Understand? Cool. Yeah. Okay. And so, no, no shame in talking it out either. It's kind of yeah. you know we can we can sort this out together even if we have to disagree. All right. In the end. Okay. Because now I have to win. <laughs> or something. So you ready for your first film? Oh yeah. All right. Your five movies are Star Trek Into Darkness. Serenity, Star Trek 2009, Man of Steel, Star Trek Beyond. <laughs> okay. I am, so with, that's a lot of Star Trek. 
but I'm guessing that because you didn't mention the others that this is a Star Wars film. I'm going to clever. I'm going to just say let's say if you watched it in the last month, um I'm I don't know, what's the latest? What's the latest one that's come out? Um I I, I you know, I'll I'll go ahead and just say um Rogue One. I'm gonna just that was very well reasoned. I'm just gonna go a different direction, just just to say that I think because it's like a sci-fi franchise and it is about space travel. But if I'm thinking about current films that you might have wanted to watch to like catch up on other things, I'm thinking maybe I think maybe because you wanted to see Prey, you you rewatched Alien. All right, that's All right. my guess. So Rogue One or Alien. I'll tell you that one of you got it in one, and it is Tanner. Oh I wow! Did watch Rogue One. Oh, it what? was Rogue One. I thought. Oh my god! Uh, out of all the Star Wars, why did stuff, you rewatch like, actually... Rogue One? All right. So first off, first off, I gotta point out one thing. I gotta point out one thing. Mark, Prey is the new Predator movie. It is not the new <laughs> Alien movie. <laughs> but there was a crossover, so they would be in this. They exist in the same universe now. Two. If I'm catching up for something. I don't know if you know this, but the best-looking genre show coming out in the next month, which is saying a lot because we have a new Game of Thrones show, we have a new... We have She-Hulk still on, we have a new Lord of the Rings show. The best-looking of these shows is Andor, the new Star Wars show, which is based on the character in Rogue One. And three, Rogue One was just re-released in IMAX, which I'd never seen it in IMAX. I know you might not know that, but I feel like the Andor thing you might have caught on to, because Andor's been getting a good big push. Well, I'm... Over the past couple of years, I just haven't really kept up that much with Star Wars. I was never the biggest Star Wars guy, but I was. I thought, okay, if Danny's going to watch anything worth watching in Star Wars, considering you know it's been a while, I I, I thought Rogue One because a lot of people love Rogue One. So I do not love Rogue One, but I think it plays way better in a theater. I am a, and we we won't get into it too much because I know this always causes tangents. I think the best Disney Star Wars movie is. By far, The Last Jedi. Uh, I'm fine with that. Okay, good. Good. Tyler would always beat me up. Mm-hmm. I will say, fun fact here is, for just a quick game, so, th- just a very quick side game. So, Star Trek Into Darkness is the, so it's after two, four, six, eight Star Wars movies. So, which means there are two other Star Wars movies right after Star Trek Into Darkness, but before Serenity. Can you guys guess what two Star Wars movies are not considered as similar to Rogue One as Star Trek Into Darkness? This is just for fun. There's no competition here. I'm going to hope uh, uh, Rise of Skywalker. So you're saying they're the ones you took out? So, yeah, I took out every Star Wars movie. Okay? Yes. So but you're Star Trek the Into two. Darkness... Star Trek Into Darkness appears after eight of them, and there are ten other Star Wars movies. So there are two Star Wars oh. movies after Star Trek Into Darkness that Star Trek Into Darkness is considered more related to Rogue One than these other two Star okay. Wars movies. I'm going to say The Phantom Menace and The Clone Wars movie. Okay, so The Clone Wars movie isn't here, uh, and you're both wrong. And I also say this algorithm is dumb. Because one of them is Solo, which makes sense, but the other one is Return of the Jedi, which I would say Rogue One is the most similar to because of the end space battle. If you guys want to know, by the way, I also usually drop this at the end, is the next two movies you would have got would have been Avengers Infinity War and Dune. 
if you're curious. Oh, Dune. Dune would have been a good one. I haven't yeah. seen. I, I have mm. not even watched Dune, but no, that that one would have made perfect sense too. Mm-hmm. All right, ready for round two? Let's do it. Yes. Your five films are Ants, How to Train Your Dragon, Ice Age, Finding Nemo, The Lego Movie. Am I allowed to guess on this one? I mean, it's up to Tanner. Yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> I, want, I get it. I, I, just... I, I, want, I want you to go first, Mark. All right. I mean, this isn't going to be f- super interesting, but it's just if Ants is the first thing, I don't really... Finding Nemo is a Pete Doctor movie, so it's not a John Lasseter movie. So I think it's Bugs Life. I think it's Bugs Life as well. But I'm going to step outside the box because you got a lot of DreamWorks on there as opposed to other Pixar movies. Which I guess would make sense as to why he didn't say them. But if it's Ants, if Ants is the first one, I'm going to say B-movie. Okay, so I'm giggling because I thought you were like, all right, so it's Ants. I'm going to guess a Woody Allen movie. <laughs> that's where oh. you're going. Oh, he de- so one day he was just having a big, he was just having a great night. He decided to watch Annie Hall and he's like, you know what? I want to watch Annie Hall, but I want to watch it with, you know, Ants, which Annie Hall and Ants are very Yeah, I was going to say Annie um, and Ants are, or Annie Hall and Ants are very different, but... That's so I'm going to answer Tanner right. first and say that B-Movie, weirdly enough, is not in the top 25. However, Mark is correct. It is a bug's life. I had to remove Toy Story as the most related film. You don't um, like jazz. The next two films I would have given you would have been Clive Chance Meatballs and Wreck-It Ralph. If you're curious on that front. Okay. And before I go on to the next round, I want to look to see if Alien is in the top 25 for Rogue One because I did not check. It's not. Um, but yeah, yeah well, Bugs it makes sense that that wouldn't be there for Rogue One. But no, the yeah, rest are Bugs the rest Life. are kind of like more family picture oriented, whereas Alien, yeah. you know, isn't that's, that's isn't not. It's like yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, you ready for the last one? So the films are Stealth, which is a film from 2005 I've never heard of, Star Trek in the Darkness, Captain Marvel. Star Wars The Force Awakens and Red Tails. Huh. Okay. A lot of aviation. Top Gun. The uh, Top Gun Maverick. I'm going to say Top Gun Mag- Maverick. That's and a Mark, really good guess. Yeah, I'm going to say just because it was Star Trek Into Darkness, it almost makes me want... Like, this is the thing that I would guess Rogue One for. Um, But, I mean, I'd have to... Rogue One is in the top 25. I'll just say that right now. I think that's amusing. Rogue One is in the top 25 here. Yeah, I think, you know what I gotta say? I gotta say Top Gun Maverick, but I was not going to say that before Tanner did. So he beat me He beat me to the punch. I just don't think there's another thing that it could be based on what you're giving us. So Tan- Tanner has, ta- that. That this one probably will go to Tanner. I, that's my guess. I'm feeling, okay, go ahead. Well, you're correct. It does go to Tanner. It is Top Gun Maverick. I did a double feature in IMAX of Rogue One and Top Gun Maverick. Because it was a rare opportunity that was actually showing two movies in IMAX I could see back to back. I did a lot better Um, than that than I thought it was. Yeah, I was surprised that all of these went in one. (laughs) Obviously, for Top Gun Maverick, I had to remove Top Gun from it. Um, And the next two I would have given you are Terminator Dark Fate and Star Trek 2009. And then Rogue One would be right after that. 
so Tanner, good job on that one. Let's move on to the game. Very good lists. job on that one. We haven't yeah, that's probably the done... best. Yeah, that was yeah. great. The game of lists. A lot of lists of movies on the internet. So this game is I pick one and I ask you questions about it. Cool. So this week, um, I want to talk about a company called CinemaScore, which is, uh, for anyone who doesn't <laughs> really know what this is, Danny's laughing because I think he knows all of these all the time and he's going to tell me. CinemaScore like, is so bogus. I just got to rant. Can I rant about what CinemaScore is after you explain what it is? Yeah, sure. Let me, hold on. <laughs> so it, what it is, is it's a data research company. The, it's a data <laughs> data research, research company that surveys movie audiences, selling information to movie studios, and then it publishes the letter grades um, in a bunch of different places. But I think currently it does it through the magazine Entertainment Weekly, if that's still a paper magazine. I mean, now they do it um, on Twitter. Yeah, they just send it on Twitter nowadays. Yeah, so yeah. you've you've probably seen these letter grades around. CinemaScore is the company that does them, and as I'm sure Danny can elaborate on, it is criticized. Um, for being a pretty poor representation of the quality of a film because it's supposed to be an alternative to critical reviews, but it really is more a measurement of like how an audience has been prepared by advertising to yes. see the film. And uh, can uh, I get, just can if I... you, yeah, yeah, I just I just want to say if you want to like read more about this, then well. I, I have I have like primary sources for whatever reason so, for one time, but you go on with your own thing. So I'm just gonna go a quick rant on CinemaScore here. CinemaScore only really pulls a couple major cities in the U.S. on opening night of a movie, so it's not really and it's supposed to be indicative of legs. But let me tell you a couple movies that got bad CinemaScores, not terrible ones, but like C ones. Um, Hereditary got like a C CinemaScore. Hereditary did very well with legs. The big one that comes to mind is, I believe, The Wolf of Wall Street got a C-, and it made, like, it went on to make $100 million because people were not expecting a three-hour-long movie like The Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, CinemaScore is not really useful. And I also want to say, for the record, I believe I've been either pulled by CinemaScore or ComScore. I don't know which one. But I was pulled once by them for The Matrix Resurrections, where I was the only person in my audience who I know gave it a positive score, because I think that movie's incredible. And I remember the person in front of me in the movie going like, wow, so the power of love saved them. I was like, yeah, that's what happened in the first Matrix movie, you piece of shit. <laughs> like, what are you, why are you here? <laughs> you think you have an issue with that? <laughs> You're about to give them your I, own power of love. It's just like uh, I just like how can you complain about this of a Matrix movie that it, love saved the day? That is what the movies have always been. Well, this is where I I I have contingency with the Hereditary thing because I don't know who writes these things, but I we I I had seen that movie in theaters and I absolutely loved it. Showed it to a roommate that I had and he loved it. And we had a friend that came over and our friend is not necessarily he's the let me put it this way he loves anything that the critics say are really good or any kind of mob movie and horror is definitely not his thing and i we decided to have him watch hereditary which in my opinion exceeds i think of what people expect out of horror today um it definitely exceeded my expectations and when we had him watch it, he's like the main thing he kept doing was calling the movie stupid. He he was obviously he was really scared, 
but he just kept referring to it as stupid. And this kid I used to work with at AMC, when we saw the movie, he kept doing the same thing. So my 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 take on what I'm guessing these people are doing is they're taking not just how audiences have reacted to it through marketing, but maybe even their own. I don't I, I don't know if they're actually watching these movies, but maybe their own biases. Like, I'm not going to lie, you have me go watch Sex in the City 3, all I'm going to do is complain about, I don't know, dresses and fashion. Like, it can be done well, but I, I didn't, I don't know, I, I can't, I just can't imagine myself liking Sex in the City 3, and then I'm going to go watch Sex in the City well, 3, and I absolutely love it. Meanwhile, though, when I leave Mamma Mia 3, whenever that comes out, I'm going to be like, not as good as 2. <laughs> like, what? I already went again once. I didn't need to hear we go again again. <laughs> what a, the at the pitch wherever they're Woody from. Harrelson as Carnage in Mamma Mia three. <laughs> I'm glad we got there. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, so yeah, on. we're let playing me, again. We're playing again. Let me <laughs> let me take that down real quick as a possible episode title. <laughs> Woody Harrelson as Carnage um, in Mamma Mia three. Carnage <laughs> in Mamma Mia three. Um, it sounds like a Jeopardy answer or uh, what's it? Clue. Um, anyway, <laughs> he was so that's his clue. <laughs> All right. So here's here's my stuff though. Okay. These there the lists are out there whether we like them or not. If you yeah, want yeah, some yeah. more fun data than the Wikipedia page, the Wikipedia's main like resources come from. An Alyssa Wilkinson Vox article and a Patrick Goldstein LA Times article, and you can find more fun facts. Like, for example, Danny, you're totally right. Apparently, they survey like 600 people max for these things, which is just absurdly low. And I think the questions are actually interesting, but they like it's the worst like group you could ever pull from. But anyway, movies are rated this way. They the most the thing that gets posted the most is the A to F grade that mm -hmm. movies receive. Now, if a movie is um, on the upper end of the A grade, then it receives an A plus. Only a certain amount of movies have received the A plus grade. So that okay, is the cool. list we're going to be talking about. Is the I, list I'm of relieved because I was worried yes. you're going to do the F scores, and I know a lot of the F scores by heart. Like I know. Oh no! I mean, I know Tracy Letts's Bug is one. I know one of my favorite mother is an F cinema score. Uh, but one of my favorite ones to bring up as an F cinema score is did I ever see the devil inside that horror movie that doesn't have an ending. It ends no. with them saying, if you want to see the ending, go to this website. And that website's now a dead, like what? They did not keep up the website. Really? Now I kind of want to, I, that's some weird experimental shit that I don't agree with at all. <laughs> well, it got an F cinema score, so most people agree with you there. It's, it's not a good movie either. It's got like, it had like a nine percent Rotten Tomatoes, so it's like by all accounts a bad movie. Not like a movie people didn't understand. Okay. Yeah, and I think more interesting trends emerge if you look at the A plus list. I think the F is a little harder to parse out info wise, but anyway. Okay. We got we got the deal. Um, the reason I'm asking about this is that Brad Bird is one of only a few directors to have two films receive an A-plus cinema score rating, so that's what the relevance is to today's episode. Okay. But my first question is actually, according to a 2014 Hollywood Reporter article, what is the first movie to have ever received an A-plus cinema score ranking? Well, when was cinema score established? Yeah, let me have that um, contest. 
It was established in 1979, I believe. Okay, so 1979. First oh, and one... actually, you beat me. I'm just. I was just going to give you the hint that oh, the movie came out in 1982. A plus. Oh, Maybe that's more of a hint that you needed, but a plus it came out in 1982. A plus. I think I. I... I already have a guess, and you didn't need to give me a year, but I think I might be right, but so I'll let Tanner make his guess first. Oh, God. 80, I... 82. Um, man. 80, God, if you had, like, said 85 and forward, I might even be able to narrow it down, but right now I can barely even think. Um, and you can't tell me director, you can't tell me genre at all, right? Is that part of the game? Uh, it's not. No, this is a game that's just trivia. And okay, then, you know, work uh, together, okay, find an for, answer, make up oh, some nonsense. Oh, we're working together. Or are we competitive? Uh, that's up to you. I think. I think just work together. Yeah. You know? uh, so, well, Danny, what do you think? I, I just. So I think this because I I don't actually remember the year, even though I rewatched it recently. But I think who's a director on? Even though you didn't say this, a director on here who probably has two. And I think of classic eighty movies. I'm pretty sure eighty two is when E. T. came out. Uh, and I think E.T. would get an A-plus cinema score because everyone loves E.T. You know, everyone left E.T. like mind-blown thinking it was great. My guess would be E.T. I don't know if you want to go with that officially, but uh, I feel like E.T. is a good call. Okay. I don't know if that's E.T. It might be If we're talking about iconic 80s movies, I'm trying to think of 80s movies that reference other 80s movies. That way I can kind of like maybe split the timeline up a little bit. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say Raiders of the Lost Ark. Are we, so, That's so we're going really for the Spielberg guess. range. Yeah. We're going the Spielberg uh, range. I'll stick with another Spielberg. You know what? I think Raiders actually makes more sense, because now I'm thinking that Raiders came out in between Empire and Return of the Jedi, and I know Empire is 80, and 83 is, uh, you know, uh, Return of the Jedi. Yeah. So I'm going to go with Raiders also. Wait, I mean, I, I will go with Tanner's guess, not my guess. Is that it? Incredible. Um, that's a that's a very good guess. It's actually E.T. Um, <laughs> what would you do? <laughs> yeah. Raiders, Raiders is not on this list. The other A-plus was Schindler's List for Steven Spielberg. Wait, he's there's enough, only he's two, two for Spielberg? Yeah, he's, he's only two. I would have three. I'm gonna, I'm gonna blow your mind in my next question, but yeah. So that's... Uh, that's it was ET and this other I mean, one Schindler's List, List getting know. an A plus makes sense too. <laughs> like, I, yeah, can't, I, sense. Can't. I think Wait, Schindler's List. So then gives what was Jurassic Park? Jurassic Park? Oh, I don't know. They're probably like A's and B's and just random stuff. I don't know. The first Jurassic Park is a class. Right, I mean, I'm sure it's it's great. It's just uh I have to it doesn't like, make people cry like ET. Yeah. Um I'm not immediately seeing the cinema score for uh, Jurassic Park, so I'm going to move on. Um, oh. Next question. No, Steven Spielberg is not one of the few directors to have three movies on this list. There are two directors, and this is the highest amount you can have on this list, mm. uh, that anyone has on this list, is three movies that have received an A-plus rating. Who are those two directors with three movies to receive an A-plus cinema score rating? One of them you might get one of them you probably won't unless you know weird trivia. Um, are these? Can one of them be a directing team or? I, my gut is okay. So that Neither goes is Ron a team. and John. Because nope. I was I was thinking Ron and John, which I don't know if you know who Ron and John are. Tanner, they're the guys who directed like Aladdin, Little Mermaid, stuff like that. 
Okay. But if we can't go with them, we won't go with them, you I'm, know? <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and say that one of them is definitely Martin Scorsese. I'm going to say we're going to go with the John from our podcast that we don't like anymore. I think... No, wait, you know what? Actually, no, I don't think John Lasseter's one. Because I think only Toy Story and Toy Story 2 would be it. I don't think Cars was an A+. I don't think uh, Bugs Life is probably an A+. So I don't think it's John Lasseter. Um, I do think it's a, probably a Pixar one. Andrew Stanton, I think Wally might have got one. I think Finding Nemo might have got one. But I don't think Dory or John Carter did. And we, you already said Brad Bird only has two. Yes. But Pete Doctor, Pete Doctor only has two films that would have had a cinema score. Because Soul was released on Disney Plus, so maybe it's not a Pixar director. All right, I, I got that out of the way. Okay, because the thing is, I think Scorsese is an okay guess, but I don't know if Scorsese is beloved by the mainstream in the sense that. Yeah, maybe not a, not a cinema score guess. Not maybe. a cinema. Yeah, score. I think, okay. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be something that's more mainstream. So who are other like? Okay. So... Okay, I have a dumb guess, but I think. The first Transformers probably had an A+. I'm sure some earlier Michael Bay movies might have had an A+, too, because people got exactly what they wanted. You know, like, you know, because you go to a Michael Bay movie, you're getting exactly what you want early on. Like, with The Rock, with, like... Oh, wait, no, you know what? I'm not going to go with Michael Bay. I'm going to go with Roland Emmerich. I'm going to go with Roland Emmerich. Because <laughs> I think Independence Day was probably an A+. I think The Day After Tomorrow could have been an A+. I think... I'm sure so he has another disaster. Do you want to lock in Roland Emmerich? Do you, well, Tanner, Tanner, do you want to see what you what I, you think? If I'm thinking about mainstream, and well, okay, no, yeah, maybe not Scorsese, because if I'm thinking about if I'm thinking about the past couple of decades, I I, I don't want to be right on this, <laughs> but I feel like it might be right. I'm going to go ahead and say Zemeckis. Oh, Zemeckis is a great call. I I, I say we lock in Zemeckis because yeah. I'm sure Forrest Gump is there. I'm sure Roger Rabbit's there, and plenty of other options that could be an A plus too. Yeah. So. All right. Well, I'm gonna say Zemeckis is probably. I mean, Zemeckis is a great guess. Uh, it's not Zemeckis. Uh, no. Zemeckis has Forrest Gump on the Polar Express, and that's it. Wow, so really? you got, it's even more mainstream. <laughs> what they get, Roger Rabbit? Roger Rabbit. I'll tell you what. Roland Emmerich's not on here, but the two, the first director is Rob Reiner. Oh, and I just okay. I just wow. watched Misery and Stand by Me for the first time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. So his films that got it are The Princess Bride, When Harry Met Sally, and A Few Good Men. Damn. Oh, yeah, little, little, well deserved too. Sense. Yeah, very well. What a run. Yeah. Yeah, so the other guy guy is, you may not know this person, is the the Christian film director, Alex Kendrick. Actually, that makes so much sense. Does he make Korean? Can I guess his A-pluses? Because I know him from my time in church. Is one of them courageous? Is one of them fireproof? And is the last one facing the Giants? No, you got Courageous, the other two are War Room, and a, a movie apparently titled Overcomer. <laughs> Tanner's face audience. right now is mad. <laughs> oh my god. So it's him and Rob I, I Reiner. I wish I could be surprised about that too. 
Yeah, as that's kind of. Like, I oh, didn't, that makes sense. <laughs> I didn't give you the other bit of CinemaScore trivia, which is that Christian films do very, very well at CinemaScore. Makes sense. You get um, exactly what you want. Wait, yeah. what, was, what about Last Temptation of Christ? We talked about Scorsese here. What's the I, CinemaScore I bet they got like a D or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, anyway, last question. How many MCU movies have received an A plus? Okay, I think No Way Home probably did. I think one of Infinity War and Endgame did. We don't need a. We just need a number, right? So I think bonus points if you guess them. But yeah, I just wanted to make my my gut Tanner is three because I think the first Avengers got it. Maybe four. The fourth would be Iron Man, but I think for certain the first Avengers got it. Ivor Infinity War and Endgame got it, and I think No Way Home got it. I'm gonna and say then, th- I'm gonna say three. But then yeah. Iron Man could also be it too. It could be four with Iron Man. I don't know. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna say three with okay. Infinity War, the first Avengers, and Yeah, No Way Home. I I yeah. I'm I I I'm just gonna go with those three. Yeah, well. I will I will Tanner, did you say, say Iron Man was your other one? No, I'm gonna go well, I said I said I'm gonna guess four with Iron Man there, but I'm actually gonna go with Endgame and not Infinity War. Because I think Endgame having a happier ending got people in a better mood. Mm-hmm. So Tanner, what were what were your four movies again? I'm sorry. No, oh, I, 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 I only four. had three. Um Oh, okay. Yeah. And mine were well, Infinity War, First Avengers, No Way Home. And or, mine uh, are far, Yeah, No Way Home. Mine are First Avengers No Way Home, and then Endgame and Iron Man 1. Okay. So, there are four of them. And they are Avengers, Endgame, No Way Home, and Black Panther. Oh, duh! Oh, damn! Oh, we're... Oh, I'm so I feel like... I'm so... I feel like I'm so... I feel like I'm Oh, you know, this This kind of goes back to my thing. And I love like, Black Panther. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. So, guys, um, great job. And, Tanner, I want to ask you, yeah. um, what how, What did you first encounter Pixar? Oh, so... Like, as a concept, I guess. It wasn't until A Bug's <laughs> Life. Um, when Toy Story came out... I, I, I had known from an early age that I had a little bit more of an interest in animated shows. I don't think... It, and I, I realized as I got older, it wasn't just because I was a child. I think it's because uh, the kind of writing and kind of zaniness that comes a lot with animation is what drives a lot of the content. Not just the content I, I like, but the content I want to be a part of. Like when we did Peter and the Starcatcher, um, the amount of zaniness that comes with that show i think is my favorite was my favorite part of the entire thing and while i was in carbondale i didn't really get to do a lot of zanier shows and i realized while doing peter and the star catcher just you know and there was a lot of different elements with it that made me love it but it was finally some comedy work that was a lot more cartoonish that i wanted to stick with now with pixar um as soon as a bug's life came out and I realized that they were going to keep going like this, like the, the toy story and nightmare before Christmas, you know, 3d animation. This wasn't, it wasn't just going to stop there. Not only that, but I definitely fell into, um, (laughs) I, I fell, I definitely fell into the merchandising as well. I 
had my parents take me to McDonald's to collect like every single Bugs Life toy because this was such a different part of animation that at the, it was definitely in its infancy and I needed every single part of it. So between that time, I would say Toy Story, A Bug's Life, and Toy Story 2, I just kept kind of on repeat. And every time Pixar would come out with a new product through um, trailers on DVDs, I got psyched every single time. So I would say A Bug's Life is not just kind of what set off my love of... I would I would say it, it, it expanded my love of animation, but it made me give a lot more leeway into following Pixar a little bit more at that time. And maybe I, a little bit about less, maybe, oh, what's up? Wait, I want to just do a quick thing about something Tanner said, because it is a, he actually brought up something that allows me to follow up with him, something I brought up a couple weeks ago, which is you mentioned Collecting the Happy Meal toys from a bug's life. Oh, you got to collect the Happy Meal toys from every I, Pixar I, I, Well, no, no. I have to ask, very specifically, do you... Mark's laughing because he knows what I'm about to say. Very specifically, do you remember the spider Happy yes. Meal toy? You had to wind... So, you, had to ru- you had to wind the red uh, Black Widow dot to make her move. Yes, and... Do you, how old were you when I don't because I know you're older I would have been this. about I would have been about five I want to say at the time all right I was still in preschool I'm about to ask you the weirdest question we're gonna ask you on this podcast today which is did you ever put that toy in your mouth because I have very intense child memories of me teething with that specific toy honestly <laughs> on, I mean if, if you really want me to be honest I wouldn't be surprised if I did because if if you look at the appendages, they're so, I mean, they're so thin, almost like toothpicks. That it's almost like you know, and they'll they'll they're you always gonna put, they're always gonna put stuff <laughs> they're always gonna put stuff on you know labels saying you know keep out of reach of children that are you know infants that'll eat you know or you know put their mouth to it. And you know, I'm like five at the time, but my god, if it if it looks like it's just something you can like chew on like a toothpick. That's going to be, like, one of the first instincts you're going to have with it. So, yeah, because I very distinctly remember both chewing it on, like, a toothpick, but then also just sucking on, like, so let's say sucking on her butt. I don't know how to word that in a way that doesn't sound bizarre, but that is, like, look, I was, like, three or four at the time. This That's right. I don't know why I have this There's primal no memory there. of this. I have, I have this primal memory of eating this toy. <laughs> I just remember being disappointed that, like, Flick didn't have legs he was sitting on a leaf and you had to like pull him back to make him go but um i'm honestly like yeah i might just to follow up on that i'm looking at them now i'm kind of amazed that the spider wasn't like a choking hazard oh remember does anyone remember the ban on pokeballs at uh burger king uh i think i, I heard about hearing that about but i don't it. think i like experienced we're, we're young. it well we're young. when pokemon the first movie came out the way that they released toys was in these little plastic Pokeballs that had like, you know, it was like a mystery in, inside of a mystery. So you'd get mm. these plastic bags that had these Pokeballs in them. And you open up the Pokeball to see what Pokemon you got. But the thing is, kids had been choking on them like throughout the entire U.S. And they there was this campaign that if you brought the Pokeballs back, you would get free. You would get a free small fry. And my dad would Wait. be like, do you want fries? I'm like, yeah, but I want the Pokeballs more. I feel like we should talk about this just as equally as we talk about the Pokemon seizure incident. 
Like, it feels like it's just as big oh, a Oh, I've heard of that. You know, the, the one episode yeah. that, like, a bunch of yeah. kids were, like, hospitalized because there were some yeah. flashing lights. You know, I heard about that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No. But people talk about that way more than they talk about the Pokeball thing. All right, Mark, ask your question. Besides, besides from, like, spider teething, do you think of any, <laughs> like, you mentioned a little bit about, like, what it means for you, like, in your career. But, like, do you think about Pixar as having kind of, like, a character as a studio? Like, you expect certain things from their products? Not anymore. Um, I used to. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I mean, it was, it's kind of like <laughs> it's okay. the Marvel. okay. I'm being dramatic. It's kind Go of on. like the Marvel thing, you know. And I, 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 I feel the same way now with one of my favorite directors and writers, because I'm that guy. I love Wes Anderson. But the thing is, if I keep seeing repeats of the same thing, even if it's good, I just become less interested. Um, so once, I think my, I think my fatigue of Pixar actually started with The Incredibles. I love The Incredibles, don't get me wrong, but it wasn't anything that was driving me, it it wasn't anything that was driving me home. And then I think Cars was the biggest thing after that, and and then they came out with Planes, which... I remember at one point, I think they came out like... Planes is not officially Pixar, but Well, they released two... I know, it's it's They released two Planes movies in one year. I remember that. And at that point, I was like, all right, I get it. Cars is selling well. It's it's definitely what's going to be making the money right now. So whenever it came to that, I'm like, all right, Pixar can be what it's meant for. Kids and Disney, you know, and obviously I'm growing out of this a little bit. Uh, there really hasn't been a Pixar movie since, and don't get me, I, I'll, I'll admit, I've not seen every single Pixar movie. I've never even seen Wally, which is claimed as like one of the, the masterpiece. Best, yeah. <laughs> um, the last one I saw that I thoroughly enjoyed was Incredibles 2. Uh, now, which a lot of people, I have to respond yeah. just with the question of, because you said you missed them. Have you seen any of the following three? Have you seen Soul? Luca or Turning Red? I have not. not um, Coco. Oh, Coco. Well, Coco oh, no. is be- oh, Coco. Coco is before Incredibles too. Okay, yeah, no, no. I was gonna Incredibles say, yeah, no. So, oh God, yeah, Coco no. is Coco. Uh, okay. I highly recommend the three I just listed. Luca makes me sob every time. I, and don't um, get me wrong, Turning like, Red and Soul make me cry too. <laughs> I'm sure they're awesome, and I probably will watch them at some point. It's, I don't know. I feel like when it comes to. Uh, the way that certain companies and directors give out products, I know I'm just not going to be on every single product. Like, for example, I loved Breaking Bad. It's one of my favorite shows of all time. I've never seen an episode of Better Call Saul. And simply because... Bro, you have got to crack open Better Call Saul. I know. It. Well, it, I'm it, in it, the it, middle of it right now. Okay. No, and I probably will at some point. I, I mean, especially if it's a big cultural phenomenon, I will eventually learn about it if not watch the full show like i made it a i made it a goal for myself for the last episode of game of thrones because i i started game of thrones years after it actually became popular and then whenever i whenever i found out it was coming to an end i wanted to make sure i saw every episode prior to it that way i could watch the finale with everyone else so thankfully i wasn't disappointed later i was disappointed along with the rest of the crowd Meanwhile, yeah, it's really uh, funny that I think everyone like prepared themselves by rewatching all of Game of Thrones to like understand the lore, only to have the rug like pulled out from under them, and none of that mattered at the my, end of Game of Thrones. My thing with Game of Thrones is I always thought the show was too popular for me to ever want to get into because I was annoyed of everyone talking about it. 
But my favorite thing in the spring of 2019 was getting on Twitter when a Game of Thrones episode was out and seeing everyone get mad. I was like, this is so great. I'm so glad I never invested my time in this. Oh, no, no. And then I, you know what I just fun, started yeah. last a couple weeks ago? Is I'm watching House of the Dragon because I think it's funny to watch about it for watching Game of Thrones. Which I've heard, <laughs> I've heard it's good so far. I, I, I'm enjoying it. Fantasy <laughs> has never been my main thing either, so I, it's, it's that's why I didn't, I didn't jump on Game of Thrones right away, and that's probably why I'm not going to jump on uh, House of the Dragon at least. Not, not. I'll give it a season, maybe, I'll, and I'll binge through an entire season, but nothing I'm heavily interested in now. But it, with Pixar as a company, that's where I am too. With Pixar as a company, and I, I think the same thing about Disney and Marvel a lot now. You're going to pump out whatever you're, you're going to pump out. And if I'm interested enough, I'll go look. But at the end of the day, um, a lot more like projects based more around um, adult animation is probably something I'm going to hit at first. Like, I'll, I like when like one of my favorite shows is Big Mouth, and I can watch the entire season in one sitting, as opposed to like um, Ozark, which is a great show, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get as enthralled about it as I will of all things Big Mouth. Like I mm-hmm. like it's gotten to the point now where I expect things from Nick Kroll, <laughs> definitely not Pixar. Danny, do you want to talk to us about why we are here today? Alright, this episode is a detour episode. The film we are talking about, The Iron Giant, is not officially a Pixar movie. Why are we covering it? Well, I actually planned an intro that I didn't write in, so here you go. So, we have covered on this podcast before that there is an original Pixar brain trust of John Lasseter, Pete Docter, Andrew Stanton, and Joe Ramp. These are the four rangers. The four rangers that make up Pixar's first season of great movies. But you know what would make them even better? If in 2004, Tanner disagrees because he says this is when he got fatigued, but I'm not going to let it ruin my, my spiel. So what if, let me let me tell you something about, uh, I'll get back to this. Don't worry. I'll get back to this. I want to make my analogy. There is another show that had a very good first season. And then it became a good show that became a great show. And that show was It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Hey. I'm talking about this is where, you know how I said that uh, Joe Ramp is the fourth Beatle? Well, Brad Bird is the Danny DeVito of Pixar. They bring in him, it gets better. <laughs> Once he gets at it, it adds a whole new flavor to Pixar. But, however, in the time of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia's first season, I'm sure Danny DeVito was doing a movie or something. I didn't research it for my analogy. But Brad Bird was doing some stuff before he got to Pixar. He was doing some Simpsons episodes. He was doing... uh. You know, a couple of everything, a little something everywhere. But his biggest thing he did was his directorial debut of The Iron Giant. A film at the, I don't know, if I should hook up their exact name, but the Warner Brothers Animation Studio that only lasted about, if I remember right, I think it lasted three movies. Because the movie before this was, uh, okay, no, there are a couple other ones. But the one I'm thinking of really is... Batman Mask of the Phantasm is their other masterpiece they released. And they died because of a... Oh, alright. So I have it open. Their films were The Page Master, Quest for Camelot, The Iron Giant, and then Amosis Jones. And then technically they worked on the back in action in Space Jam. Um, But that's not really them. But also Batman Mask of the Phantasm is considered an honorary one because they distributed it obviously because of Warner Brothers. 
But I think of all these movies, unless you're really a huge Batman fan, which is very fair, but I think most people would agree that the masterpiece of this output was The Iron Giant. Brad Bird's first film, a film that I'd actually say in a lot of ways, because you brought up adult animation, it's not adult animation, but it's way more mature than any other animated movie that's getting a wide release at this point in time. So, The Iron Giant, Brad Bird, 1997, 1999, sorry, 1997. And I mentioned too that Brad Bird had a pretty long career before this, like writing scripts and doing some work on The Simpsons. Well, yeah, yeah, I read that off person in charge. But yeah. yeah. Tanner, how'd you first see The Iron Giant? Oh, God. I want to say I saw it. Well, I got it on VHS as a kid, but I, I, and I, I knew I was going to like this movie. I didn't realize, you know, what a cinematic masterpiece was supposed to be, which this movie very much is. But I got it. Um, one, I like the design of the Iron Giant. I love his design so much. And the thing is, in what was it? There was there were VHS copies that you could get that came with a little tiny uh, figurine of the Iron Giant. So I got. Because I I'm a big I'm I'm a big toy guy I love toys I I mean this is why I got all the toys McDonald's toys when I was a kid like as soon as I saw that there was a toy that came with it I got it but what looking at the Iron Giant and a lot of people disagree with me on this a lot of people uh, agree as well but it was like watching Hey Arnold you knew that there was something a different there was something different about this but you're still looking at it through this lens of it being animation and cartoon um. So watching it, it was, I I would say it was a nice, it didn't like, I wouldn't say like impacted the way I watched movies or the way I thought about storytelling, but watching it not be what I saw on Cartoon Network, even though it's coming from the very same distributors was nice. Um, And it was also, I think it's one of the mainly the, I would say one of the only uh, more dramatic animated movies that I've seen that actually get a good laugh uh, every once in a while that isn't purely based around maybe adult humor, per se. Um, for example, Christopher McDonald's entire performance as Kent Mansley, I mean, he. what I love about Christopher McDonald's work as an actor in his logline is that He's not just a villain a lot of the times because I mean this isn't the only time he's been a villain. He's he was a villain in Flubber. He's played Boss Hog in a in a Dukes of Hazards, uh, Dukes of Hazard uh, yeah, TV what a great movie. Career. What was that? He's he's he, what a great career. Like he's one of those guys, like, and he plays it off so you know. well. And the thing is, it's I think one of the only times he's done it on an animated level where his acting chops burst through because i mean the rest of the cast is fine you got uh the kid that played reese and malcolm in the middle is hogarth you have jennifer aniston who that's I, him i yeah. never realized that yeah yeah and then <laughs> that's of, awesome and then Go out on, of nowhere yeah. <laughs> you have harry connick jr who i guess went with the role because he just really liked it but also like you know he's he's a he's a jazz musician i i i don't I don't know exactly what had uh, Bird decide. Well, I guess he probably wouldn't have been completely in charge of casting. But I, what he does with all these characters is great. But the biggest performance really is that of Christopher McDonald's. And 
it was so nice to go from Disney villains that had either a lot of camp or a lot of dark to them. Um, you know, from, let's say, Frollo from Hunchback to Hades from Hercules. And you mix that together in the best way with a company that isn't Disney. It was so nice to see something this good from something that wasn't Disney. And would you say that this was around, like, maybe 2000 or when around the time that you maybe first saw Bugs Life? So you had the VHS, like, pretty soon after the movie was actually, like, released in 1999. Yeah, because I definitely didn't see it in theaters. Um, I, what was it? I, let's see, Bugs Life came out in 99 as well, didn't it? Or was it 98? No. 98 was Bugs, Bugs Life. Life. So I would say the biggest differences between A Bugs Life for me as a child and The Iron Giant was, honestly, I, I could share The Iron Giant um, a lot more with other kids. One thing that I would say kind of set me aside on what my goals were, in like, because I, I mean, I've always known that I've wanted to work with movies, animation, theater, all that. It was one of the only movies that I think had a lot of action in it that a lot of other kids that took live-action movies more seriously at the time could enjoy. Because, I mean, don't get me wrong, at five, six years old, there's going to be plenty of kids that like that like to watch stuff like Spongebob, to watch Ed, Ed and Eddie, to watch everything that was going on at the time. But you also had a crowd of kids that were geared more towards more mature content that maybe I didn't have because I wasn't exposed to it. Because growing up, like, a bunch of other kids would always have, like, Call of Duty, Grand Theft Auto as video games, and here I am over with Kingdom Hearts. Um, so it was nice because it was... I could see other kids getting excited more about more mature content through an animated scope. Uh, because I, I couldn't relate as well. Because my entire life was cartoons at that point. It's interesting that you, and we'll hear about Danny too, it's interesting that you mentioned that it was such a big part of your pretty young life, mm -hmm. because I think this passed me by and I kind of saw it, I don't remember when I saw it, but it may have been a few years ago or something like that, I saw it like as an adult, and now rewatching it for the show, I've probably seen it twice, both times as a young adult. So it's, it, and I always kind of wondered about that because for me, my first encounter with this movie was actually through like trailers and it scared me. So I didn't want to watch it. <laughs> so that's why I like have, I had never really seen this movie until I have no memory of the first time I watched this movie, but it was like maybe two or three years ago, just because I think it was like, you know what time is time to watch Iron Giant. Um, but that, that, that was my big thing about it is like the, the giant scared me so much that I never really sought it out or anything like that. No, that's, um, I, I mean, I get that. I, I mean, cause what was it? Yeah. How old are you, Mark? I'm less scared now. Yeah, sure. You watch this and go like, ah, no, yeah. get rid of that laxative. It's all right. If it makes you feel any better, my mom had to walk me out of Spy Kids. Um, I, Spy Kids is scary. I, I, yeah, so, when they when they turn the dad into the like body horror thing, that's yeah, crazy. no, oh my god, <laughs> that fucked with my head so badly, like I was bawling and I was scared for weeks afterwards too, like it was a, like it was mm -hmm. a bad problem. So don't worry, what you might have been scared of the Iron Giant, but you you probably didn't carry it with you the way that I was carrying the uh, the 
Fear of Fooglies, and and Alan Cumming, who now I love more than ever in my life. Uh, so mm-hmm. that was that was a big curve thing too to realize who Alan Cumming was, and I'm like, oh my god, I used to be terrified of this guy. Yeah. Um, I don't believe I saw this in theaters, but I think like most people discovered this movie on VHS. Yep. This was a movie I watched a ton as a kid. And I don't know. I don't think it ever emotionally resonated with me. I think it was something that was just like, oh, it's this really cool movie about a kid who has a robot. Uh, I remember though, I had seen this in theaters as a child because my local theater had this thing where they would show recent kids movies uh, for free, but to have an intermission during it, so parents had to go buy them snacks. You know what I like? That's clever, uh, actually. That's that's really cool. yeah. So I've I'd seen this in theaters of intermission, but then in 2015 they re-released it as a Fathom event. And it's the only Fathom event I've ever gone to. Uh, and I saw this in college with Julius and a couple other friends that uh, Mark might know. Um, mm. But, yeah. And, you know, as a child, you know, it's a great film. Actually, though, I do want to say, before I revisited in theaters, I rewatched it in 2013. Because... I don't know if you guys remember how what the best trailer of the 2010s was, but the answer is Man of Steel trailer 3, which made us all believe that we were going to finally get a great Superman movie. And so I decided before seeing this new Superman movie that I was going to watch what is commonly referred to as the internet as the greatest Superman movie ever made, which of course is this film. Um, but then I saw it in theaters again. And you know, when I saw it in 2013, I cried. I saw it in 2015, I cried. Uh, and I think I'd rewatched it one other time in between theaters, the 2015 viewing and now. And, you know, every time I watch it, I go, like, I'm not going to cry at this this time. And then it just gets me every time. Uh, I think it's a movie that the more you read about the production of it, the more you get emotionally involved with it, too, which is always interesting. Um, but I also think it's obviously, like, I, it's one of those things I just want to, like, be very clear about. I think this is one of the greatest movies ever made. I think this is easily a top 20 movie of all time ever made. Uh, it does everything it's trying to do perfectly. I think the animation on the giant is technically so impressive when you compare it to any other CGI implementation at the time. I think it is the peak of CGI implementation into traditional animation. I think the traditional animation in the movie on its own is beautiful. I think the story is so resonant I think it's this and E.T. for this type of story. There's no other, like, any other, I'm sorry, How to Train a Dragon, any other, or Lee Lone Stitch. <laughs> you're all, those are both also great, like, five out of five movies to me. But, like, it's Iron Giant and E.T. I think I like Iron Giant more than E.T. Uh, it's just a phenomenal movie in every regard, I think. And I always forget how much I love it until I rewatch it, and I go like, oh yeah, no, this is, this is one of the greats. This <laughs> is... And Brad Bird's been chasing this ever since. This will, this will probably be one of the best movies ever cover on this podcast. And I say that as a huge Pixar fanboy who acknowledges this as being way better than a vast majority of their movies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. You know, I think that really the Brad Bird opus for me is Ratatouille. I mean, I've been, Ratatouille is one of the rare ones I have not seen since probably like 2010. Oh, okay. I thought you were about to say you hadn't seen Ratatouille, CSA. and I was about to explode and cancel the I'm podcast. I'm not going to explain my Ratatouille <laughs> experience until we do our Ratatouille episode. Uh, yeah, but, okay, yeah, okay, okay. I thought that's, yeah. that's my... No, I've I seen every shock. Pixar movie. I've seen... Okay. The only the only movie that comes to mind right now that we'll definitely cover that I've never seen is John Carter. So, <laughs> so there yeah. you go. Did you... So, like, you talked a little bit about 
the character of um i mean it's i have the benefit of seeing it now as an adult and i really do see things like oh there's this there it it's interesting how each scene is really you know you have the development of the giant becoming a person and you have like him kind of deciding about who he wants to be and then also you have the the theme of like fatherhood and you have the two parallel father figures that is it's not something i watched notice on the first watch but i think it's something that i appreciate much more now like having only seen this movie as an adult is that it's a very like it's it's going it's really going for being that perfect movie i don't know if it is that for me but that you have these threads going through it like the themes with the giant and like death and then you have uh the uh the fbi agent and then dean um i it's it's very impressive to me i don't know if it gets there for me as being the perfect movie but i it is very close for me i think the idea of the perfect movie is going to be subjective to everyone so or to anybody so the idea that you even put this in your repertoire as a candidate is actually i would say says a lot because when it comes to i think what i think of the iron giant in terms of it being a lasting film I, and i hope it doesn't nec- i hope it doesn't fall into this but i will say that a lot of more i would say not obscure, but I would say films and animated films that have more cult followings. Like, um, are you guys, you guys, maybe, I don't know, have you guys, are you guys familiar with Don Bluth? Yeah. I am, but he's actually, as a huge animation fan, he is a major blind spot for me. Oh, no. I've which, oh, that times. that's absolutely fine. But in, I look back on not every single Don Bluth movie, but a lot of movies like Amer- like An American Tale, which I would say falls very much almost neck and neck with The Iron Giant in terms of not just its maturity and themes, but how it's presented through its main characters or and its supporting cast. Um, not just based on the way they're written, but their settings. For one thing, uh, so I did some, I don't know if you guys have looked into the original story of the Iron Giant. So I did. I, I, I listened to the Pete Townsend. The, the Pete Townsend's. Uh, okay. Oh, yeah, that, that's that more than I did. Story. Very nice. But, but I mean, I didn't read the original story, but I, I saw it was like, what, like, what? I have to like, listen to this. And it's like, I mean, whatever, it's very but. much. It is a lot more sci-fi than what the movie is the 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 threat in the book is something very fantastical whereas this is playing more not just of what a threat actually is in real life with um 1950s america looking at the soviets and the cold war i think that implementing that not just as a bigger fear to think about in terms of what the giant and Hogarth are fighting up against, but also giving us this little piece of history, a piece of history that I don't think a lot of kids would have either discovered, let alone even found out, thought of as a concept without this movie, because, you know, I'm five years old. No one's teaching me about the Cold War. No one's teaching me about 
the actual threats that America has faced. And then, of course, you know, the entire next year, we all see it firsthand. Um, yeah. So, I, go, sorry. So, go with looking at what the Iron Giant and American Tale does by bringing in pieces of American history and telling a new story that is geared more towards a younger audience, to me, is genius. Because a lot of the time, you're not, you may not have a lot of adults, at least maybe not then. Maybe you'll have a lot more adults now that go after um, animated film because it's not, it's a lot more popular than it used to be. But going to watch a movie with an adult that's an animated film where you can both see adult themes, and you can obviously see this in plenty of Pixar movies, Inside Out, Finding Nemo. To do it on such a scale that you wouldn't expect from, especially from a trailer like one would see in the Iron Giant, because it's like, that's what I thought whenever I first saw it, Danny. It's a kid who's got a pet giant. It's Dunstan checks in with a giant. It's Mac and me. It's E.T. It's Air Bud. It's Air Bud. It's Air Bud, but it's not. It's something so much cooler. Uh, I think, so, sorry. In terms of what it might what it might be as a perfect movie i mean it's it's pretty damn good in terms of it's not just idea but the script that goes along with it because you see this kid you see hogarth grow you see his mother um the the relationship that he had with has with his mother grow you see that dean doesn't want to uh maybe just stick with himself anymore and you also see that even a bumbling fool like kent mansley who works for a united states government can still become this bigger threat just based off of his own self-interest and self-belief fear and his fear too yeah and his, i think yeah. to to me the reason this movie so this is a movie that is a childhood favorite that has become like a legitimate to me in my mind potential like not it's not the greatest film ever i think there's i definitely there's one thing in this movie i always don't like uh but that's whatever i think the best things i think great things need to have flaws um because then they remind us of actually things but to me the reason this is great as a child is like you still get the whole story where yes you get that there's a deeper meaning to it with hogarth and what he's going through but then you watch it as an adult and you have that historic context already in you that this is taking place this is actually came to mind uh, recently on my other podcast, um, The Snub Club. We watched The War of the Worlds, the 1953 version, mm. where they just calmly discuss, like, should we nuke it? And it's weird to watch it with that type of discussion because it's like, you know, now we're like, oh, no, like, that's a, that's a very, like, that is definite last ditch resort. But in this movie, they're like, yeah, let's just do it. Uh, and it's interesting having watched that and then watching this, which is a period piece. So it's more has that in mind, like, what this nuke would actually do. And then, like, you watch this, you don't need, like, the duck and cover sequence gives you that, like, setup as a child. But watching it now, you're like, no, they're all, like, in real big danger here. And what that giant is doing at the end is so heroic. But then what more stands out to me as an adult, and definitely stands out to me when you read about the production of this movie, is how gentle but yet firm it is on its statements about, like, guns. Mm -hmm. And how the giant does not want to be viewed as just a gun. Um, and how, like, his last, one of his last words is, I am not a gun, and it's, you are who you choose to be, and it's, like, I'm gonna, I get emotional talking about it now, 
because I think, in a way, when you put something so plainly and in a child's words, that lets these, like, I don't want to be like this big button issue about guns, but like it puts this thing that's really hard to put into words in a way that just feels emotionally right. Well, I think. Of course, the giant would not want to be considered a gun because we are more than just, you know, like we can be told. It goes beyond just like the idea of a gun. It goes beyond the idea of like being told you are meant to have this role in society. Yeah. But you can choose what you want to be. Because that's what Hogarth, how Hogarth is reflected in. That's how Dean is reflected in the giant too. And it all comes together in this climax, you know, where the giant sacrifices himself by choosing to be, of all things, Superman. Uh, like, I, I don't even cry even at the... I, I mean, I do cry at the climax. But I cry before then when he starts his rocket start. And that's when he gets to finally be, like, the hero we know the giant can be. Just because Hogarth and Dean told him he could be it. Well, one thing that you can definitely take away from, I would say, at least every male in this movie is where their core values lie and how that affects the Iron Giant. Um, For example, you hear a lot of passion talks from Hogarth, Dean, and Mansley. Mansley has an entire spiel about the safety of America and protecting um, the American way uh the trust in the government i mean he freaks out on hogarth in the diner because he knows hogarth knows something and that's going up against the fact the fact that mansley can't crack it he can't get hogarth to cooperate is messing with his values now whether those are right or wrong now obviously he treats them in a very wrong way um it just goes to represent what he's trying to what kind of role he's trying to make hogarth play Dean, on the other hand, has his passion values on whether or not he believes that junk is art, um, or that uh, art is shouldn't just be considered junk by an overall populace. Uh, I don't think that hat holds too much of a main stance in the overall story, but you see these people talk about their passions over and over, and so going back to, you know, you don't really figure out the Giants' passions until the end when he decides Superman. Yeah, I mean, it's alluded to, obviously, So, or whenever um, Hogarth is showing in the comics, uh, whenever Hogarth is talking about the idea of acceptance, and you have an entire town around you who hasn't been accepting you, and you realize that the only way to do that is by going the route that you were already kind of interested in. So I, I, I completely agree that... Does it make it the perfect movie? No, but the sentiments alone um, in what kind of story he's trying to tell, especially for a 1950s time where everything I think was supposed to be... They wanted people to be a little bit more nuclear. Um, nuclear? Nuclear. You know what I mean. There were sensibilities that people expected people to have, and this movie is telling you, eh, you know, you can probably do better. I feel like I I feel like I'm out of and it's okay because we've already talked this way. But I feel like me saying that it's the perfect film. I don't I don't mean that as like I just mean to me that this speaks to me on such like a deep level emotionally. Well, I'm just glad it's um, a good film in even, general. You know, oh yeah yeah yeah. I mean, yeah. To, but, have, to have something come out at that time, and this is what I say about the Prince of Egypt. I be, I believe that both of them at some point are going to end up like uh, an American tale. 
where it's going to be it's going to be remembered it's going to keep getting watched but it's probably i don't know if it's ever going to have the kind of popularity that people believe it should have i think that it has the sort of popularity i think that maybe even brad bird didn't even expect to have and then once they realized how big of a success it, it was you know that was just something that he could be proud of in the under anyone everyone on the team uh, well, the important thing to it. point out, though, is that this initially bombed at the box office. See, there a, we go. Yeah. yeah, yeah. it was a. It became a cult hit because Cartoon Network had run it a bunch. Oh, yeah, I remember um, those days. And then, of course, the VHS, you know, people would watch it because it's like when you're a kid, there's not a lot of new animated movies to watch. And, you know, when people saw it at home, it was like, oh, no, this is like really good. And, of course, you know, giant kid gets a giant robot movie of course most boys are gonna be like yeah i want to watch this movie you know over and over because this was what i probably one of most watched movies as a child and which is why it's always so shocking to me that like when i rewatch it now i get so much like jokes i forgot um in particular one thing i definitely wanted to mention um not joke wise but another thing where it's like the shocking maturity of this as an adult is when you're a child you don't really notice how because the movie does it very quickly but very potently in setting up how lonely hogarth is uh, and okay. how he yeah. feels like an outsider. It doesn't dwell on it much, but it the moments you get are like powerful enough for you to immediately get. Of course, he's going to like treat this giant. Like I mean, I mean, I guess we can all say like, yeah, we came across a giant robot in the woods. We definitely be like, yeah, I want you. But like the way he like gets so emotionally invested in him too so quickly because this movie takes place over the span of like two three days, right? Something so like that. It happens very quickly, and it's like, but we're completely there with him and with Dean. Um, yeah. Uh, I feel, I feel like, uh, Mark, do you have stuff you want to talk? I feel like we're, I'm hogging at least. Uh, not we, I'm hogging. <laughs> well, no, I mean, it's, it, it was really hard for me to meet this movie where it was, I think it's, and I mean, that's what makes it a great movie for me is that it doesn't, it's not what I think it should be. Like, something I really struggle with is Mansfield's fear of the unknown. Yeah. Like, I really have a hard time accepting him as a character because of that. But it is, there's no reason not to. And that is, that's part of what the movie is about, is even when you have the army general who's much more level-headed, you have Mansfield who is who is just afraid. And I think that is... It's it's part of how good the movie is, is that it doesn't, it's kind of like was said, is it doesn't pull any punches. It's like this character represents uh, anxieties about foreign powers and nuclear attack. And that is his deal. And I think he's not going to let you forget about that. To me, one moment in this movie that I remember stood out to me as a child, which is a big moment as an adult, um, is, you know, of course the climax, everyone talks about like, Superman, but I think about the you're, we are going to die for our country and then screw your country. I want to live because one that guy just said screw in a cartoon. That's not allowed. <laughs> but also, not until much later in Cartoon it, Network. Not until much later with Warner yeah. Brothers animation products. Yeah, not until like Adventure Time. You yeah. know, so like a long time later. But it's like wow. It's like it's very the third act is so intense, but also this movie is so tight. It's yeah. such a tight movie. Uh, I will say that... 
Oh, what, you had some. No, else. I was going to say, it's like 87 minutes. I think it's 79 without credits. I checked. Well, I checked a little under the credits because I was crying. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. there. I mean, there are just a few. It just. I mean, it's. I could, I could quibble with some things. I think the only thing that I'm right about is. Did we all watch this like semi recently for this episode? Like maybe a day or two? I watched yeah, I watched night. it yeah. Um, Monday. Yeah, yeah, yesterday. yesterday. All right. I think I'm right. There needs to be an insert of the squirrel going up Dean's pants before he makes the face at the mom, because that scene reads like he's attracted to her. Yeah, you I like that this is like, of the like this movie has one flaw. It needs an insert of the squirrel. <laughs> well, it's not the only insert that I think it's. it's I, I think that's it's just that's just my my kind of beef with the whole movie is that like I, I think it's I funny think that's that your it flaw. shoots for so well not in general that is my flaw because I see like things like it it tries to do so much and I think sometimes it gets there and sometimes it's a little more like you have to like yeah because because I think that like I think there's a little more to be done with the fatherhood thing. I think hmm. okay. for me, that's yeah. Because well, because I just mean like, like Dean has this. It's, it's another thing, which is a reason the movie is good, even though it's not the kind of movie that I expect it to be. Is that I don't see why Dean is like attractive. I don't see the point of him being attractive He's got until. Facial hair pretty late in the film <laughs> like dean is like clearly a leading man but he doesn't seem to have like i don't know he has like a weird artist's job but he's also like pretty smart and put together he's just like really he seems like really detached from things in a way that doesn't really click for me um, but there's no again there's no reason for him not to be so that's my thing like I I have this desire for him to be like a goofy movie caricature, <laughs> like one of those one of those beatniks that they hang out. I don't know why the only memory I have of the goofy movie is when they're in the poetry bar, and that's oh oh and extremely goofy movie. No no no, those are two different movies. Yeah. Those are two different. Oh movies. Yeah, okay. yeah, the first goofy movie is on the pizza. <laughs> no, you're talking about an extremely goofy movie, which is the technical sequel to a goofy movie. Um, so what but I, I think about that meme, just the end of my like, thought I just is want just that, like, a goofy movie, an extremely <laughs> that, goofy that, movie. That's my problem. Is it's not the goofy movie, um, but that's just that was that's my first Dean, like a good character, sticks like a rock in my shoe, because he comes in as this to me bizarre collection of attributes that doesn't fit what I think his role in the story is. Up until pretty late in it, I I, under, I feel that I think that if anything, you know, and obviously, I don't know whether this is meant for the script. I don't know if this is trying to set the scene for um, the time period. I feel like they're wanting to put in a beaten a character, the same way you put in a lot of other characters in projects that I guess in society's eyes may not always be the the most savory or the one that will always have the best interests for the world but they are still people in the end so you're gonna give a little bit more credence and better character to a character like that to because i mean if you think of the dichotomy between dean and mansley you have 
one guy who is representing the American male in what is, I guess at the time, supposed to be a little bit more attractive. Because it is a little bit more responsible. It's a little bit more of an adult um, stance to have for that time where uh, you have Dean who, depending on, I mean, they're they're in a, what was it, they're in Maine? Yeah, they're in Maine. Yeah, I don't know yes. how many other, like, beatniks you're going to find out in Maine, but I'm guessing it's the same thing as, you know, finding, you know, I don't know, some, I'll go based off of my own you know, history, some kind of punk in a rural town. Um, yeah. it's, it's supposed to like offset. Which is all someone we know. Yeah. So I think that was something that needed to be represented, not just in, not just something for the time period and the location, but also while Dean doesn't really try to be a father, he is a representation of manhood for Hogarth. And it's a representation of manhood that maybe a lot of people didn't, you know, completely get or agree with in the 50s but at the end of the day you know who the better character is based off their actions and sacrifice or in mansley's case lack thereof i think a very also important thing to talk about with these themes of fatherhood and like uh, role models for men is that when we compare this to like et how to train your dragon you know boy and his dog type of movies um that's not the relationship of the giant and uh hogarth um hogarth is more of a father figure for the giant because the giant has his own thoughts his own wants and desires and is still figuring out the world i mean when he first gets uh, to earth way... he's basically an infant it, instead he's not reading the hey don't stick your finger in a you know electrical socket uh on yeah the, on, right, on the max level a... <laughs> <laughs> um and that to me is like where it's like you know he hogarth doesn't have role models he has dean who i think is more of like to him he views him more like a brother type of thing you know mm. Hog- uh, dean is not really that big a role model to him and then mansley's obviously like this creep who's like living in my house now for some reason gotta give him laxatives so he leaves me alone um mm-hmm. but he has that deep connection with the giant even though i don't think like you i don't think you can say the giant is his pet because he's not. And it's not even like Elliot where they're friends. It's that he is mentoring the giant. Well, isn't in a way it Dean that. Imparting his values on the giant. Isn't it Dean that initially tells Hogarth that he should choose who he wants to be? Because Hogarth is like. You're right. He's talking You're about right. girls at school and the bullies that pick on him. And yeah, because he's, you know, hyped up on espresso. And uh, Dean. Yeah, I was going to say the only reason that he even no, says correct. that to the giant is because Dean tells it to him first. So even though I don't you're, think. You're... It, and I mean, I think that Dean getting with his mom in the end is supposed to elude that Dumb. he's going to be, he's going to, I mean, he's, he's already been, we've already kind of established that it's been established that Dean can give some kind of influence to Hogarth because we see that whenever he tells, he gives the giant the choice to either kill him or not be a gun. So I think that. I think that it's a little shoehorned in for Dean's character, but I think it still represents what it needs to for the overall effect. Uh, especially I think, you the know, way that it's brought back around for the giant. I'm really glad you brought up that scene, because I don't know why I forgot it, because that's, st- that's what I was actually referring to earlier. Whereas a kid, you don't really catch this stuff, because that's like in a scene that's a joke, because he's on caffeine. But as an adult, you watch that scene, and it's like, you know, even those kids hyped up on caffeine, what he's saying is like legit 
angst yeah. that probably hasn't been listened to. Well, no, but it, I, I, I say angst in a way that is... So, the other day, uh, the, you know, I, I said I wrote a play that I was I was commissioned for, and I sent it to the director last night, and he read it. And he goes to me, he says to me, he's like, I really like this scene, but she's got a lot of teenage angst. I'm like, well, she should. Like, this character should have angst at this point, because no one is listening to her. And that's how I feel in this scene with Hogarth. It's like, you know, you watch the scene. Yes, he's hyped up on Kathy, which makes him, like, layer his, lower his boundaries. But it's like, his mom's never home for him. And if he is, he wants to appear strong to his mom because his mom's a single mom who's always working. Well, not- so he finally has a place to let this out, and he's being honest. And Dean, who up until this point has mostly been ignoring this kid, actually listens and gives him that, like, meaningful advice that to me is, like, it's it's heroic. Well, like, it's one of those very quiet moments of heroism that we don't think about. I think much like anything else... You're going to find, it's like Mark said, you know this character in your life, but you also know the character in your own life that is an adult and either is going to do one of two things. They're actually going to listen to you because they get it. They remember the kind of, I don't know, either angst, anxiety, pressure that maybe they felt as a kid, or you're going to get the adult character who isn't going to listen and is only going to think about how hard it was for them as a child. And they're going to ignore, you know, characters like... And I'm not saying that anyone ignores Hogarth, because up until this point, we didn't... We can only allude to, like, anxieties he might have. Um, But when he actually discusses this, and Dean actually listens, that's nice. But then you... once Like, I keep going back to Mansley talking about the greater good overall, and how anything that you're dealing with right now, like... Whether you're whole, whether you're hiding a giant metal man from me or not, the reason why you're doing it is selfish because this is a lot harder than what you're dealing with, and this is so much more than you could even fathom. I as think opposed to the- as opposed to Dean, who's like, I got a giant metal man in my yard, but this kid needs to listen to me right now. Like that's that's. I I think you're nailing the bare like because I feel like we've been trying to get it. Like, what is the pure dichotomy between? Mansley and Dean and I think the fact that Dean obviously is very chill and willing to listen but the fact is that Mansley comes in with his because Dean is worried about the giant being in his yard Dean is worried about his art but the fact that (laughs) Dean is willing to like be like Hogarth is here and he needs me whereas Mansley's literally like I want to drop all my shit on you because I'm the one here with the issue here my boss isn't listening to me and you know you think I'm basically repeating what you just said, but you know what you get what I'm like. Yeah, I, like it's like that is it. That's the difference. Well, here and that's also what's going to drive you to how one you deal with your own stress in your own life, but also too how you're going to deal with the stress of children. If you know, if like you know, I got nieces and nephews. I got a lot of they get. You know, there's plenty they don't understand about adult life. Am I going to be the one who's going to ruin it for them? Hell no. Oh my god. No, it's it's something that can really make or break it for a kid, and I think that's something they need to find on their own, not something that any one person should try and force onto them, even if it's with good intention, whether or not it's a warning or a, or a you know, kind of like an allegory of like, hey, you know, you, you may think that this is fun, but you gotta think about what all that implies. You don't have to. Not, not at that age, at least. Not at was it Hogarth was 12? 
Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, sure. I think 12 or 11. Doesn't matter. You know, <laughs> so, he's that age. Tween age. So, like, zero in on this. Like, you mentioned, I mean, you, you saw this when you were a kid, but, like, it sounds like it really has affected your your life in a big way i don't know if like, the, uh, well, philosophically or at least in a parallel way i just maybe that's why it holds up i just kind of see it based on reasoning as to why certain characters are the way they are you know it's kind of like the way you know danny we were in a play playwriting class and you know mark i yeah. you've written a few things you know we write these characters based off of things that we already know or want to know but at the end of the day, you also see plenty of characters in movies and f- plays that or in theater that you can just kind of tell were written to be there. And with this, I see, you know, and I could be like talking out my ass about this. Maybe maybe those intentions weren't even there. What I it's just it's I'm not saying it, that the movie has had a big effect on my life. But I recognize things from my life, not just in that movie, but in a lot of other movies. That's what makes movies great. Hell, that's what makes Inside Out probably one of the best Pixar movies, not just for um, kids themselves that are probably going into adolescent age, but for adults that have grown up with Pixar movies remembering their own adolescent age and how everything that Riley goes through makes probably a lot more sense than they were ever letting on that they may have ever let on in their life. You know, I like, I never had an imaginary friend, but I loved specific characters that eventually like, let's say bing bong that I had to let go of because I was just getting too old for it. Like I remember when I was a kid and this is something I, I've never mentioned just cause it never really came up. I was having like a really big struggle on like, Hey, I'm really into Pokemon. Like, my friends really love Pokemon. But man, remember how much you used to like Arthur and Barney? Like, what? You're just going to, like, give up on those memories and those characters that have really impacted on your life because you're getting older? Yeah, you do. Because you learn new things. And so, obviously, I didn't pick up on it as much as I, as I did as a kid. But me kind of, like, correlating the roles that Dean and Mansley have, I mean... Now, especially, I can think of, I can name people off the top of my head that can represent Mansley and represent Dean. It's just something that I think every kid, not just, not just finds, but I think sometimes looks for as well. Someone to listen and also someone to not listen to because you feel comfortable in one way and not in another. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was, it's a much that was more... heavy. <laughs> No, no, it's I okay. Mean, we talk about heavy stuff on this podcast. You're good. I was thinking good. about something I'd and already I mean, mentioned on this podcast when you were saying that, so that's why. Yeah. I didn't. Well, I wasn't going to interrupt anyone. I mean, <laughs> I was well, I mean, what I think saying. that is a that's a pretty good place to to leave it. I think. Yeah. Unless there's anything else. Uh, do you guys away. want to know what my one issue was? Because I was going to mention way back when Mark mentioned the squirrel. Oh, you have thing. one issue. What's your one issue? Uh, I think the movie should end about 20 seconds before it does. I think it should end with the bolts rolling away and that it. I don't need to see the giant wake up, even though I love seeing the smile. Uh, I think it's just end with the bolt rolling away. We know what's going to happen. We don't need to see it all come back together. Uh, it's like when a show ends on its own terms. Like, you have a feeling there's a story later, but you really don't need it to... You don't need to finish, like, um, a show I watched earlier this year called The Bear. 
you know that's been pretty big all around the oh, internet. I need to watch that still. It's good, spoilers, but I do. I and see it, yeah. it's been renewed for season two. And damn it, I wish it hadn't been because it ended <laughs> so well as its own eight episode story. Like I would have loved to have kept that as a mini series, but it, but that's the thing. It gives, and I mean the 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 bolt rolling at the end, you know, I think illustrates this too. This idea of a hopeful continuation, if not in physical form, in imagination. Now, yes, I agree, but I do want to, Mark. I'm sorry because I know that was a great place to end it, but. I just God, remember not it. this again. No, no, no. It has nothing to do with me. It has <laughs> no, nothing to do with me. It has to do with what you told me why Tanner wanted to come on in the first place. We never talked about that. All right. If do I you remember that. If what? I, yes, we did. Didn't we? What? Okay, go on. If go I can on, give on. a quick tangent, we you can, you know, make this part of the Patreon if people are actually interested enough. <laughs> uh, one thing I want to talk about really quick is... <laughs> The people that own the Iron Giant and what they yes, do, this is what I was and what about. they do with him. So, <laughs> since, oh, that's right. Okay. So, since the movie, the Iron Giant has, in my opinion, appeared three—at uh, least from what I know—appeared three times in media. All Warner Brothers projects. One Ready Player One. As people hate that movie. I think it's all right, but I like what they do with the Iron Giant. The same because they do the same thing that they do with the Gundam ship, with the with the um, Holy Hand Grenade. It's all referencing pop culture in ways that go along with the story. Ready Player Ready Player One is not a great movie. I like it because I believe it's this big love letter to not just nerd culture, but mainly nerd culture that Warner Brothers owns. Um, after that, you that have him. Don't get me wrong. Him rooting on the Toon Squad in Space Jam Two is cute, but I'm not going to pay attention to that when I see a Clockwork Orange and Pennywise rooting for them as well. <laughs> <laughs> but three, and I don't really know what you do with a character that you own but can't do much about. I mean, they've tried doing it with Jack Skellington. Disney's tried doing it with Jack Skellington by mainly having him appear in video games. Um, Disney Infinity at Kingdom Hearts at one point they had, what was it, their game company, Buena Vista, or at least what it used to be called at the time, uh, had made a Nightmare Before Christmas video game to keep try and keep relevance and to keep the licensing to these characters. But there's a problem with that. I believe that it takes away... The kind of love for you, the kind of love that you have for the characters in an original project, and then seeing them as more as a mascot for something else later. Now, using using the Iron Giant, a very good way to put it. You know, like I love Jack Skellington, but I like him in A Nightmare Before Christmas. I don't necessarily care about him in video games or in anything else. The way, at least the way I thought I would as a kid, because it doesn't make. It, a lot of like you'll find this in video games um, that kind of go off of a specific film or a character from a film or TV show is that they'll try and stick with the character, but the way that the dialogue is written for a game as opposed to an overall story about themselves kind of alienates you from what you already know and like about the character. Now... <laughs> And I'm going to leave it at this. The last thing that they have used the Iron Giant for is a new, and it's free to play, 
but you need to sign up for a Warner Brothers gaming account, which is what, like, now this, it's called Multiverses, and I'm guessing the Arkham games? Um, but basically, they, it's a, it's kind of like Super Smash Bros, but it's all characters that Warner Brothers owns. Uh, have you guys heard of this? Yeah, I actually, actually, I have heard of this, yeah. So, uh, if you want to go onto your gaming system and play as the Iron Giant and try to defeat Shaggy or Arya Stark, they animate Arya Stark, uh, cause, you know, you always thought that you'd see. <laughs> I somebody Game, Game of Thrones. So, like, this, I can't this lie, brutal so Game funny. of Thrones character <laughs> go up against Shonen Master Shaggy. Um, but I just remember when this uh, they announced this, and I, I think I texted Mark. I'm like, they better put in Tom from Succession in this game. They better let me play as Succession characters, <laughs> or Barry from Barry. <laughs> let me play as Barry Berkman. Oh, like Bill Hader Barry? Is that is that your... yeah, yeah, Barry? Because it's HBO. <laughs> he, he, yeah, he's yeah, gonna right? right in. <laughs> uh, but that's the thing. It's like I don't. I, I I'm not gonna pretend like I have the answer for what you can do with the Iron Giant. Re-releasing it as a Fathom event was a great idea. I think really releasing it in a box set where they implemented the um, the deleted scenes that they hadn't put in the original cut was cool. And I don't really know what else you do from that, because especially when you don't want to lose licensing on these characters, that's fine and all. But I don't believe that you should be having them watch LeBron James uh, rap. Well, I guess he didn't rap, but I guess cheer on Notorious P.I.G., Porky, that's all, folks. That's all, folks. Not seeing Space Jam Two. I'm happy with it. Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> Danny, really quick. You should. It is the most unapologetic thing Warner Brothers has ever done, and I'm all about it. See, it is. Like, you know what? It's such a travesty, I will, and I love I, it. Mark, may I? May I? May I side tangent very quickly on Space Jam Two? Yeah. All right. So Don Cheadle is the bad guy in it, right? He is the horniest so, bad guy what? I've ever seen in my life. So the one thing I said about Space Jam 2 that would get me excited for it is if they went through their archives and found every Don Cheadle character that Don Cheadle has played in a Warner Brothers movie and had him show up at one point. A.K.A. I wanted Basher from Ocean's Eleven to show up. And we hear Don Cheadle go like, Oi, what's going on there? <laughs> oh, it's a CG. Oh, it's just your Algae Rhythm. It's just like Lucas, mate. See, I'm, that is I Don Cheadle's like voice in those movies. <laughs> Like in yeah. Sp- like Sylvester Stallone and Spy Kids, they're all like oh part God. of his But it's all Don Cheadle. Yeah. Oh my it's all, God. It's, it's, yeah. Instead of the tunes, the Goon Squad, or whatever they call it, they should just have to be a bunch of Don Cheadles. <laughs> oh my God. That would have been so much better. Oh God. And I was about to pretend like I actually knew who was on the Goon Squad. I was about to say Alan Iverson. And I think he's in the first movie. I don't think Alan Iverson. Uh, we got to gotta get a, a, a squad of Don Cheadles. Oh my God. <laughs> Oh my god! Um, so, but anyway, yeah. What if anyone hasn't seen the Iron Giant out there? What what's an arbitrary rating you would give this movie to pitch it to people? You mean rating us in terms I mean, of like content rating, or rating us in terms of? Stars? So Mark wants. I mean, you like, should just say some. You should just say the most unhinged thing you can think of as a descriptor for this movie. Mark, why don't you go first to give an example? Because I know you can go very unhinged. All right. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna give it four out of five letters in the word family. Okay. So family. That's my re- <laughs> what? It's a family. <laughs> oh, I mean, I mean, five out of six. Never mind. <laughs> that's that's my rating. Anyway, go on, 
Well, as I've said, this is one of the greatest films of all time. I have to give it, um, you know, you know what I'll give it? I will give it this movie. I will give it the honor because we're talking about Warner Brothers and the guys at Warner Brothers right now. I will give it the honor of having the one hard drive with Batgirl on it. So the Iron Giant can watch Batgirl, even though the rest of us can't. It gets that privilege. That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. If you want a blast from the past, and I don't just mean 2000, I mean the 1950s, and you want to look at it in a light that you can only look in your own way by looking through this film and not listening to the History Channel, not listening to Cold War buffs, not listening to people that experience the, the real life journey <laughs> exactly Stop not listen, to this not podcast. not not going against what <laughs> not going against you know what history actually is but if you want to experience a bit of history through great storytelling and great characters that you can enjoy as a kid or you can remember for or you can look in a nostalgic way or you can introduce it to your kid if you want a movie that you want to introduce to your kid in the realm of more adult animation start with the iron giant and they'll go straight to the go straight to the road of el dorado because that's what i try and make sure every kid watches that can be your own episode later but that's where i'm gonna leave that if you want to really share a good moment with your kid for them as a kid and you as an adult watch the iron giant that's very good if you want to know why i'm giggling it's because i the episode's not out yet for you, so you didn't even have a chance for the Prince of Egypt episode I revealed controversially. I've somehow never seen the road to El Dorado. And that has not changed in the last three weeks. <laughs> if you guys... You should, I, I'm going to say this right now. If you guys enjoyed having me on as a guest, bring me back for the road of El Dorado. I will talk the shit out of that movie. Oh my god, I, I love would, that's we, one, have to, we have to find some degrees of separation, but but if oh, we yeah. do have it, then that would be great. No, well, and that's the other thing. If because Mark, have you seen it? Yeah, I've seen it. I okay. love that movie. No, yeah, I was gonna Danny. That's uh, a gem that 2D DreamWorks hasn't necessarily been slept on because there's memes all over the place. It's very well remembered from what I know, but it's one that doesn't get talked about enough, and I think a decent amount of 2D DreamWorks out of like okay the three that they had <laughs> don't get talked about enough the third one <laughs> that being sinbad i can i can skip all right that one. we're just like we did last sinbad. week see if you can guess the... he yeah, also we talk, forgot we actually the one... talk about this a lot in <laughs> you're, the you actually yeah, forgot the same one right before this one yeah you forgot the one me and sigillito both forgot too which is spirit yeah. so but yeah. tanner yeah plug yourself yeah. what what how can people how can people like so, give you love honestly so uh i don't cosplay as much as i used to so don't go ahead and don't go follow my tiktok it's really just a lot of lame jokes now but honestly um because i imagine that some of our friends might listen to this uh and even if any of your any of the anyone listening out there if you want to uh experience what i have done please reach out to me because i need more people to give me opinions on a i explained this to danny and and Mark, before the show, I had put together a radio play based off of Eric Bogosian's talk radio. And as long as uh, we can kind of keep it incognito, I would love for you to reach out so I can have you listen to it and give me your feedback. Not just on my acting, but also my direction of the project itself. 
that way I can kind of see what I want to do, both in terms of my directing style in theater and directing in audio uh, further. Like you want people to reach out to you kind of like to have some one-on-one talks, right? You don't mean that the project is incognito, correct? No, the project is not incognito. Uh, I okay. have copies of it. And that's the thing. It's like, hey, if we can, if I can have you listen okay, to a bit of it. it's copyrighted. So, but yes. no, that's the thing. That's why I'm saying like maybe we get together like and listen to it together. Like it's not like a, hey, I'm giving this to you to keep thing. It's more of like a, hey, I need feedback on this because the one thing about I'm, – I'm not going to go on a tangent about this. The one thing that is the most frustrating about getting out of art school and doing your art is when you don't have enough feedback to keep going. And That's interesting. Yeah. Um, because you can go do a show, you can act and people can say that you did a great job. I have never directed my own project at this capacity before, let alone, um, have I ever, uh, yeah, I've actually never done a character with this many lines. Now, granted, I had, you know, read a lot of it because it was a radio play, but that's the thing. In terms of me conveying a story, I haven't gotten a lot of um, a lot of major feedback other than it's, you know, oh, it was really good. It felt like a radio show, which is good feedback. It's just, I don't know, sometimes I want more, uh, just more of a critical mind of, one, could you listen to, could you convey a story? And two, was it boring? Because, I mean, that's the other thing about audio plays and podcasts. Uh, yeah. If you're anyone like me, it will hold your attention, but only so often, so much of the time. So, um, I would love for Should people... they email you about that? Yeah, no, Should no. Should contact that... us? Yeah, no, that'd be great. Um, I was going to say... We can you... put that info in our episode description. Yeah. Um, yeah. That are... Um, the best way for me to respond is through Facebook. So if you look up Tanner Garen on Facebook, or if you're friends with Mark and Danny on Facebook, you will find me. You can message me there, or yeah, uh, for the description, I'll give you guys my email to to see if anyone wants to reach out. Good. Oh yeah, you I mean now get people right now. I I don't have a whole lot going on, but um, hopefully I will uh, the next time I come around if I'm back on the show and I'll be able to plug a little bit more. Awesome. We will have you back. Thank you. <laughs> awesome, guys. Yeah, it was, it was so it was so awesome to talk to you guys again, and it was so awesome to catch up. And I can't even remember the last time I, I had a great movie discussion with people. This is this has been such an honor for me, an honor for us as well. Yeah, Thank you. It was awesome. Absolutely. Looking for the Ocean is produced by Mark Young and Danny Vincent. Our original artwork was done by Sarah Knopf, and each episode is edited by me. If you'd like to be notified about new episodes, you can find us on Facebook at Looking for the Ocean of Pixar Journey, on Twitter at Pixar Journey, on Instagram at Looking for the Ocean Pod, and on our website, lookingfortheoceanpixar.podbean.com. If you want to know what I'm up to or find me on social media, you can head over to markyoungperformer.com. And if you'd like to see all my takes on all the movies, you can find me on Letterboxd at Blankman's. If you'd like to hear me on another podcast, I also have The Snub Club, a podcast about film history. We'll see you next time. See you next time.